Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Sports Legends of the Carolinas. I'm your host, Scott Fowler, sports columnist for the Charlotte Observer, where I've worked since 1994. And in this podcast, I seek out some of my favorite sports legends from both North and South Carolina and get the untold stories of their journeys to becoming icons. This week, I'm thrilled to welcome former Clemson head football coach, Danny Ford. Danny and his wife live in a farmhouse in the small town of Central South Carolina, only about eight miles from Clemson. That's where Ford became the youngest football coach ever to win a national championship when he was just 33 years old, back when the Tigers won it all in 1981. Now 74, Ford is a full-time farmer growing all sorts of vegetables as well as hemp as part of a pilot program run by the state of South Carolina. We recorded this conversation at Ford's kitchen table, and afterward he sent me and our visual journalist, Jeff Siner, home with more than a dozen of what turned out to be the best cucumbers I've ever eaten, but without any hemp, in case you were wondering. In our interview, Ford talked about his very first game as Clemson's head coach, better known as the day Buckeyes legend Woody Hayes punched a Clemson player on the sideline. Ford told me all about Clemson's stunning 1981 title run and why he chose to walk away from the college football game at the age of 50. All that is next with Danny Ford on Sports Legends of the Carolinas. Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate y'all being here. Glad to have y'all in the Ford household. (laughs) Well, we are honored to be here. Um, Let's start off because I think people uh, are always uh, entranced by the idea that you really did become a farmer, uh, basically. Tell me what you've kind of been doing for the last 20 years. Golly, that's it's, it's unbelievable that it seems like it hadn't been 20 years since I've been out of football, but it has uh, after I left Arkansas and, and came back to the farm, you know, I, I done a little bit of everything just to try to stay busy and stay in shape and I was in kind of in the middle of a age crisis of too old to start all over and not old enough to quit and what what do I need to do and so I've always liked to farm and I, and the the farm was part of uh, me being at Clemson at one time through contract and and how I got to farm was through a 
my contract with Clemson. And, and uh, so I knew I was going to come back here and, and be on the farm. But uh, we've done a little bit of everything as far as uh, following high school kids and high school rodeoing when my son was in that and him going off to college and trying to do that in college. And then grandchildren going living in Texas, going out and seeing them and bringing them to the farm every year uh, to – for a couple of weeks and uh, just uh, going into the hemp business, which was four or five years ago, which was new and something that, uh, again, my son talked me into and I didn't know much about it. And now we're just uh, staying busy. We're trying to raise vegetables in a greenhouse because we've got the space for, for to do it. And, and uh, learned a lot about cucumbers and about zucchini <laughs> that I didn't know. So, And I guess the older you get, the more you try to uh, – the more you become interested in different things that you've never done, you want to learn more. I think, I think it's from my experience as you age and I'm 74, so I'm aging pretty good. And, uh, you know, you're running out of time and I tell people it's like football, you know, the difference in football and getting old is you have no overtimes and you have no timeouts. You can't stop the clock. The clock (laughs) continues to move and run and, so you got to make a, uh, every moment count, and so I'm trying to learn and do things that I've never done. And so anything associated with farming or something I've never done before, I'm interested in doing. I like to fish. I like to, I like the outdoors. I like to stay busy. That's that's mainly what I like. To, what I like about having a farm is there's always something to do. I, I can never catch up, and and I, I, that's good. Good for is, me. Yeah, yeah, right. Something to something to always be occupied sure. thinking about the next thing. In yeah. fact, when I uh, when we got here today, uh, you were looking up something on YouTube about how to make your own butter. I think, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, well, I I, I read uh, several different things every morning uh, to see what happened while I was asleep. <laughs> uh, reading, watching something on, or reading something an article the other day is how to make butter and. and uh, and they had a little YouTube film on it. It was you just pour cream in this blender and start blending it, and then you start wiping down the side, and you put squeeze the buttermilk out of it, supposedly, and throw it in some ice, and then you got a butt. You got butter. Well, you there know? you and go. So I got I grew some garlic, and then, and I got some herbs around. So I'm gonna make me some uh, some kind of butter and put something that you can't buy at the grocery store. So. <laughs> And you have horses and cattle here. How much? Uh, how many of each, or roughly? Do you well, have? we've we've had all different numbers, but we down. We've sold down. It, and one thing, uh, which it used to be, and it's has to do with age again. And when it used to be, it was just as easy to feed fifty animals as it was to feed ten, hmm. because you got to get up and do it, mm-hmm. and you and you got to. Got the ground, you got to cut hay, and you got to prepare for all that through the winter. But as you get older, it might be just as easy to feed 50, but you don't want to be out of that cold weather and that hot weather so long. And you don't want to cut as much hay as you've been cutting. So, so uh, you know, we're down to probably, I think we're somewhere in the 50 to 60 range of, of cows. And, and, uh, I want it, I want farming to be easy, and farming is never easy because uh, there's always impossible. there's always yeah. a problem, there's always a breakdown, there's always a tear up, 
there's always something to do. So, but I'm trying to figure the easiest way to farm. I mean, there's not an easy way, but uh, so anyway, we, we we keep enough to keep the grass down, and, and uh, we've we've taken them and, and slaughtered them and 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 sold them for beef to people and stuff like that. We kill our own beef and uh, enjoy that part, you know, because we have. Have uh, have good food, and I mean it's it's a lot better than going to the grocery store. You know what you eat, and you know what you got, and you know what you're feeding. So you know there's a lot of benefits to it, but uh, you just can't grow to like nothing because nothing lasts around here. Uh, yeah, do you name the cattle? No, or? no, no, no. <laughs> you, you know I put a, I used to put numbers in their ears and try to keep their calves marked with who they were. And now just let them run free. They sort of like me. They just they just wander around from place to place. But speaking of uh, farming and football and some of the similarities, what you, you said struck me because uh, isn't that like coaching a football game, though? Something always goes wrong. So there's always something's getting – somebody got hurt, something's – I mean, you don't win a lot of games 45-0. to zero, You're adjusting on the fly. Kind of. well, Is it similar to it, it, coaching a football I, game? I, I think it's similar if you're an assistant coach because, uh, uh, you know, you, you've got a job to do, you've got a responsibility – you got a certain area of the team that you're responsible for to get ready to play. As a head football coach, you always got somebody to get on to or fuss at. Uh, as a farmer, when you mess up, you it's your fault. I mean, if oh, you yeah. tear a tractor up, you did it. If you get stuck, <laughs> I got stuck, and I have to call my son to pull me out, and he's raising his cane because I can't stay out of the ditch, out of the holes and getting getting in the fence and stuff like that. I said, I, boy, if you just pull me out one more time. I swear I won't do no more work today. <laughs> but, but now, if I was a head coach, I'd blame that on somebody else. Yeah, you, you know, yeah, you it's, your, ready. Yeah, it's yeah. your fault now that we got didn't do this. But but publicly, you take responsibility. But when you privately, when you're in that meeting room, you you know those those poor old assistant coaches catch a lot of blame because that is their responsibility. And but it, but it is it's it's uh, it's more like being an assistant coach than anything else because you got nobody to to blame but yourself if everything ain't done just right. <laughs> um, for those who had not, you know, some people listening to this won't have seen you coach a game live yeah. uh, at Clemson or at Arkansas. Uh, so describe to me what your coaching style was like. Well, we, we played at Alabama and, and we're taught um, by Coach Brown who, you know, Personally, he, he as a head football coach when when I was playing, he was an older gentleman too. Uh, now in his younger years, he was a football coach through and through. In his older years, he was more like a CEO, and uh, and and uh, he was sort of like his coaches do the coaching, and he was over over them, and he could get on to them like I was talking about earlier <laughs> if they didn't play well. But uh, uh, he believed that you won football games with, with a great kicking game because you could score more points in a kicking game than you could offensively or defensively. But uh, anyway, that, that was it. I mean, you, you, you have a great kicking game, you play great defense, and you, and you, and you don't lose the football game on offense you don't throw interceptions you don't you don't have turnovers you don't have penalties but but you just like farming something always tears up yes nothing's always perfect and when you're dealing with 22 human beings on the football field 
uh, you know, 11 and each, each side of the ball at, at different times. And uh, you're not going to get 11 people working together exactly the way you want. Ran the ball a lot more than threw it. Threw yeah, it, right? yeah, I've been coached Bright. I mean, I don't know if he said it or somebody said it, but back then, and if he, and, and uh, he even had a had Joe Namath and Stabler, you know, Kitty Stabler and, and uh, Pat Trammell. I mean, he had some great quarterbacks at Alabama. Bay Pirelli was a quarterback for him at Kentucky and Maryland. And, and uh, a bunch of NFL guys. Yeah, a yeah. bunch of guys that could throw the football. But you know, he always said there's three things that go wrong: throwing the football, two of them are bad. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if he invented that saying or whoever did it. But I mean, uh, here he's got that kind of people playing for him at quarterback, and I got these pretty good quarterbacks, and he got these pro quarterbacks, <laughs> right, and, right. and he doesn't like to throw the quarterback. So I'm gonna listen to his teaching pretty good. Yeah. You were uh, speaking about Bear Bryant, and I'm sure some people forgotten that you actually played for him, and you were a, a tackle, offensive tackle? Yeah, well, position well too. Well, I, my claim to fame at Alabama, if I have one, is, uh, well, I was captain, and I did make all academic SEC, but that <laughs> people question that and what I majored in. But uh, anyway. Uh, Which was what? Industrial education. I told the people at Alabama, they said, what you want to major? And I said, well, I want to be a veterinarian. They said, well, you should have went to Auburn. <laughs> I said, well, you didn't tell me that when y'all were recruiting me. I thought every college had everything. If you went to college, you could be anything. Whatever you, you want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what college is. You, right. you, you, you declare what you're going to be, and you, you get prepared for your lifelong dream of what you want to work for. So I thought everybody had a vet school but uh, back when I was in high school. But I, they didn't tell me they didn't, you know. But so when I did, they said, well, I said, well, what am I going to major? And they said, well, you're going to major in industrial ed. I said, okay. I said, that's it. So, so what was your claim to fame in Alabama? Oh, my claim to yeah. fame in Alabama, my, I, was a t- I went as a wide receiver. I was too slow. They moved me to tight end my first year uh, as a – back then, so, freshman team. And eligible, you could only play three years. You had four years to play three. So uh, my first year, I was I was a tight end, and uh, uh, my claim to fame was I was the second leading receiver at Alabama in 1967 as a tight end, and uh, the the sticking point about that is that uh, we had a guy named Dennis Holman and Ken Stabler was quarterback, and Stabler and Holman were just fantastic athletes and players and I think Dennis Holman probably had 68, 58 catches I had 10 and everybody else had 9 and 8 and 7 so (laughs) (laughs) even though I had one more than most of them (laughs) about 7 or 8 different players I'm saying I'm second I'm number 2 there you go and then you moved to – eventually you became an offensive yeah, then, line? Yeah, then we yeah. became – well, we, we ran out of personnel and, uh, and we just – we started moving people around and, I, and I, I was moved to tackle and then ended up playing there for two years. How What what was your height and weight? At the, I was about 6'3 uh, and a quarter, 6'3 and a half, I guess, 195. That's as big as I got in that but, – but that was a big man, I mean a, a good-sized man in the South – playing football back then. Now, now the mid, Midwestern guys were bigger at Nebraska and stuff like that but because they were big bone corn-eating Midwestern people. But 
a guy back in our day, if you were six three or six four, two hundred twenty five pounds, you were a big man. Really? I mean, that was a big man. Now these these young men, you know, if you don't, if your offensive line don't average over three hundred pounds, you're small. You know? Right. So you'd have a hard time playing. Well, I played against some pretty good people. I mean, I played against Ted Hendricks, who was who was wasn't a bad player. Wow, and, and, historic. Uh, yeah, the big people back there. They they were big guys back then, but but they, and they went on to play ball, pro ball, and, and uh, we played against some you know good sized men, but not no size men that they are today. Was though I can't remember, uh, Danny. Were those Alabama teams integrated yet, or was that were those no, all white teams? I, I mean, they they had a. We were all white. Coach Brown was being sued by the NCAA because of that, because we had no we were black athletes at that particular time. But uh, after that, Pat Dye, who probably helped me get into college coaching, recruited a guy named Wilbur Jackson. He was our, he was our first African-American at the University of Alabama. The perfect young man to be recruited. And then the second guy was John Mitchell. And John Mitchell is, is coaching with the the Steelers today. And Coach Saban has just done something for Wilbur Jackson and John Mitchell this past spring. Nice. Uh, the, made statues or something because they were the um, first scholarship athletes. Yes. 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 And John and I started coaching about John started coaching in Alabama about a year after I did. Well, those are two. They were two fine gentlemen, and two mm-hmm. to 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 start the integration of, of, of football at Alabama. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Danny Ford is going on the field to talk to the officials who are huddled inside the five. That's rather unusual. We've been screwed. You missed a call last week on the sideline. He was some competitor. He played at Alabama. His team has played gallantly here. But how did you get into coaching? Well, I was I was going to uh, when you met my wife. Her she was from the county school, and they had a really good fine football team in Etowah County back then. And and I was. Didn't want to go to work in the plant where my daddy worked. I didn't want any. I didn't want to have to punch a clock. So I didn't want to be in in coaching. I, I was too small to play f- pro football. There was not a great need for 195 pound offensive tackles back in those days. And uh, then I said, Well, I'm gonna try to get a job at Etowah County High School with Coach Glover, who was one of the better coaches in the state of Alabama. And not that I was ever worried about being a head coach, just just a starting place, you know, to be a high school coach. And back then, uh, was the Vietnam War was going in, and the rule then was you, you were a high lottery draft number by your birthday, or or low number, which you went to the service if you were low, and it, or you if you was in school, you had to deferment, but. Pat and I said, why don't you ask Coach Brown if you can be a graduate assistant and stay in another year? He said, that's an extra $1,000 for a high school coach. Mm-hmm. You know, back then it, was, it, it meant about an extra $1,000 to be have a master's degree versus uh, a BS. And uh, so he let me, but I had to get in graduate school. Well, I, I, I went to the PE department, and I had days and B's. 
And they said, no, you don't qualify to get in PE for a master's because we're getting everybody with A's because they didn't want to go to. Oh, I see. Everyone was trying to stay out of the war. Let's say. So uh, this brings back some old days and memories. Uh, uh, so we walk across campus and this guy, he, he comes in and he said, well, go over here to the special ed department. I said, special ed. I said, there again, not being a very smart guy and, and outside of maybe football or, or, or just common sense, uh, special ed meant to me that they were, they were geniuses and I can't get in PE and how am I going to get in special ed? So he said, go see Dr. Russell. The main part of the campus, I walked in there and talked to him. He said, We're, we need men. Special ed students got older. The females had a harder time maybe controlling some of them because of their strength and ages at that time. And so they were dying for men. And no men were going into special ed at that particular time. And I didn't even know what special ed was. I'm still sitting here trying to figure out how am I going to teach these Geniuses. And they were brilliant kids and a genius kid. And it, and it, it probably helped me, that major probably helped me, secondly, to coach Bryant more than anything I did, been preparing to be a football coach. Because those kids never had a bad day. They were always happy. They, they, they might have had some problems, but they never had a bad day. And that taught me why, if you're healthy and you got a lot more going on than some people that are disadvantaged and you can't suck it up and you can't overcome what not near by half what these children are doing, you know. So I never, I never, that's why, that's why our players always thought I was mean or bad, or bad to them because I never had any self-pity for them because I'd already been through the worst thing you could go through and see children overcome and, and that were always so happy and never complain. And here I got a kid complaining because it's hot, <laughs> you know, or they're yeah. sweating or they want some water, right. you know. I said, oh, you were, that you were too mean. No, no, you I, uh, I was yeah. too mean or I was, I was too hard on them or whatever, but we had convinced them that they worked harder and they were tougher and, you know, and we made football practice harder than playing. Uh, they like to play in the game. My, my teams uh, at Clemson, I know at Clemson, and, and, and Arkansas was another story, but at Clemson, my teams loved to play in a football game because they didn't want to practice. But, you know, uh, people don't understand about athletics and, and football or basketball or certain schools have advantages and a chance to win over other schools. Mm-hmm. Our situation at Clemson was really, really good. But they recruited great players and it made us a better coach and and uh, had better players. But but we were in a situation at Clemson uh, and they talked about improving the stadium, building the stadium and, and nobody in the conference was doing that at that particular time. So we became better facility-wise. You know, we had a great school situation. The weather was good. We just some built-in situations that a lot of – when we went to Arkansas and joined the SEC, now we were 
we're not ready for that. It was a very much of a disadvantage to coach there before you even get to the players. You know, you can go recruit all all Americans. You still ain't gonna win there till you get your facility wise and everything else because you can't continue the the trend that you're gonna have to do. And uh, the the people talk now about these new conference alignments and stuff of whether they should go in this league or this league or should they stay in the same league. It's a very much an advantage for Clemson to stay in the Atlantic Coast, Coast Conference. Stay in the ACC and dominate. Yes. Yeah. Or, have a, or have a better situation than some of the other schools in, in the conference. Just from natural advantages. Natural advantages. Yeah. And, and now you jump in the SEC, Big Ten, those people aren't going to slow down. See, I've always said this and I don't I mean, I got no no points I'm trying to prove to anybody or anything else, but there's no one in the ACC. Maybe their exception would be North Carolina if they wanted to. But nobody's going to spend $100 million on facilities. Boston College is not. Pittsburgh's not. Duke is not. North Carolina State maybe spend a little bit, but they're not going to spend that kind of money. Florida State may, you know. Now, everybody in the SEC, I just saw a red article the other day, uh, Texas Tech is going to spend over $200 million on a football stadium. Wow. On facilities. And that's Texas Tech. Yeah, so there must be a lot of oil, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of money out there, you yeah. know? I think uh, they got some really big got donors. Some, they yeah. got some. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Sports Legends of the Carolinas. You've just heard the first half of our conversation, but there's much more to come. Still, again, when you're running out of time on this earth, things change. I mean, at 30, you never think you're going to die. Will I ever be 70 years old? Oh, 70's old. Now, 70's here. I mean, 74's here. <laughs> that ain't old. I feel good. <laughs> Man, I'm looking, for, I'm looking for 100. I'm looking for 90. For that, please purchase a premium subscription to our show exclusively on Apple Podcasts. And for video of these interviews, visit charlotteobserver.com slash sportslegends. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the first ever Danny Ford Show. I'm Scott Fowler, and this is Sports Legends of the Carolinas. This show is produced by Jeff Siner and Kata Stevens, and the director of audio at McClatchy is Davin Coburn. For lots more content and to continue supporting this kind of work, please visit charlotteobserver.com slash sportslegends and consider a digital subscription. Connect with me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fowler or by email at sfowler at charlotteobserver.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please share with a friend. See you next week.